Harnessing Social Influences for Mental Health, an exclusive interview with Dr. Julie Radlauer. Join us in this enlightening conversation with the esteemed psychologist, Dr. Julie Radlauer, exploring the social influences on mental health. She brings her extensive research to life and provides practical tools for everyday people to address their mental health challenges. In this interview, we delve into why she focuses on the social aspects of mental health and uncover the significant social influences that shape our mental well-being. More importantly, she shares how we leverage this knowledge to manage our mental health more effectively. Don't miss this chance to gain invaluable insights from a leading expert in the field of psychology. Tune in to equip yourself with essential tools to navigate your mental health journey. Remember, understanding is the first step to healing. Subscribe to our channel for more educational and inspiring content on mental health, and together, let's break the stigma and build a healthier society. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. enlighten you a little bit about the guests that we have on the show today. Dr. Julie Radlauer is a leading expert in social connection and social support. She uses her experience to create an impact within communities, systems, and organizations. Her approach is collaborative, creative, and curious. She strives to educate by utilizing unique avenues, including media, stage and video production, podcasting, and writing. She has a vast experience in behavioral health, public health, and organizational development of more than 25 years. She passionately shares her expertise to further mental wellness. Her research on stru structural racism has led to the development of a national curriculum designed to create more equitable systems. Please help me welcome Miss Julie Radlauer. Hi, Hello. Julie. Hello. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Did I get your last name right? I know I asked you this. <laughs> you did. It was perfect. Perfect. Oh, lovely. Thank you so much. I'm pleased to hear that. And I'm so excited to have you here on the Wellness Driven Life Show. It truly is an honor. You have a lot of expertise. You've really branched out from the norm of traditional thinking. And so I'm excited to share that with the audience today. Do you mind please sharing a little bit more about yourself so we can get to know you more? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, so I'm a licensed mental health counselor. And I've worked in the behavioral health field for 25 plus years. 
I also have my doctor in public health. And so that combination of education, really uh, education and experience, really kind of allows me to focus my efforts on the prevention of diagnosable mental health conditions. So I work on trying to help people get ahead of feeling the stress and the, and and um, experiencing mental health conditions by doing their every whatever they can do every single day. Um, people might call that self-care. I have uh, years of experience doing research behind how do we get ahead of the um, crisis events that are currently happening. You know, I've worked in the behavioral health field for a long time, and I was always really frustrated by the fact that um, mostly in the public health, mental health system, people would come in and they would be really struggling um, and we, they would work with a therapist or a case manager, um, even a psychiatrist, and they would get relief, but it was temporary relief. And then as soon as they, you know, their life situation stabilized and they went back to their everyday life, typically they would recidivate. So they would come back into the system needing more support. And after working in the system for years and years and years and interviewing professionals that work in the system for years and years and years, um, you know, we came to realize that, yes, some people do need this therapeutic intervention, but there are many people that can have their needs met in different ways. Um, and so research out of Harvard estimates that really only 20% of people who are struggling with their mental health need formal mental health treatment, that means 80% of people who are struggling can have their needs met in different ways. And that was really what, uh, you know, caused me to do the research to figure out, well, how do we get ahead of this? How can we work with the 80% so they don't continue to deteriorate and end up needing to receive more formal treatment services? Um, and that's really the birthplace of the social influences of mental health. Okay. So, wow, that was jam-packed full of information. And I hear you. I have a lot of understanding personally, just based on my law enforcement background, where you really saw the repeat offenders, right? Or the same circumstances coming back over and over and over, regardless of everything that you gave them to succeed. So it's very interesting that that happens. Now you talked a lot about preventative. And so also how do we marry this preventative aspect and also the aspect where it's a continuance, where they're educated and they, they it sticks, right? Where it's that stick factor of this is helping them and it is helping them for life. Well, I mean, that's a difficult task for sure otherwise it would have been done you know smoothly <laughs> i will say that many of the families that do come back in, in needing services um oftentimes it's what you call the social determinants of health challenges which are things like poverty um they don't the, a, a lack of education a lack of transportation a lack of access to resources and no matter how much therapy you do if somebody's experiencing poverty, therapy is not going to solve that problem. You know, if you think about kind of Maslow's hierarchies, those basic needs of safety, security, food, shelter, all of that, that comes before self-actualization, which is your therapy, you know. Yeah. And so a lot of people struggle with, you know, they get the support that they need in the short term, but their long-term, you know, situation doesn't really improve. Um, and that's why people end up coming back into care is because I can feel, you know, get support and relief over here. But then as soon as I go back to my regular life, I'm still mm -hmm. in 
me. My family's are my family is still using drugs, and you know, yeah. I'm still, you know, working at minimum wage and can't pay my bills, and that creates stress for people. And then they, you know, come right back into services. So it's it's a dilemma, you know, because in many communities there's high poverty. There's what poverty? I'm sorry. High poverty. There are high poverty rates in many communities, and so that you know is ongoing stress. But so the research that I really do is focus on the what we call the social influences of mental health, which are the social things that you do every day that can impact your mental health. So, for example, social support is one of the social influences of mental health or social capital. And so both of those relate to if I'm really struggling and um, I can't pay my bills, is there somebody in my circle that can support me, that can help me? And maybe mm-hmm. I can, you know, have a loan or maybe um, they could, you know, we could move in together and save expenses or, you know, maybe, the, you know, they would invite me to stay with them for a little while so I can decrease my costs or something to that effect. But having that social support is a way that decreases stress and makes people feel more connected and makes people feel better. Right. So, yeah. So like it's, it's things like that, that it's not rocket science, but we don't realize how much the social aspects of our lives actually influence our mental health. Right. And being able to embed that in somebody's current circumstances, because really it's beyond just the individual at that point. Right. And so it's interesting because I, I've been researching blue zones for many years. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah. So, you know, they just released a documentary on Netflix. It's how to live to be a hundred or something in that regard. And I can't recall what they call it, but in Okinawa, Japan, they, they have that structure and they have a term for it, but really it's, it's a society, a community, a community that has formed a small network of people who really are pooling together their finances in case of an event when one of them needs that support. So it reminds me so much of that. And really we're talking about, Julie, it sounds to me that it is your environmental factors that really influence you so highly to create how you show up, how you respond, the number and amount of stress that you have in your life, because when you go down to that, um, the hierarchy that you called it, where the immediate things that you need in life is the shelter, the security, and we don't feel that, then that leads to stress. Of course, we're stressed out because if we feel like we are not secure, don't have the shelter and all of that, and we're not safe, then we can't possibly. So it's then it's that environmental aspect. And so either it's removing that and removing that, that which is not making you healthy or somehow making a change within that, but that is really addressing more than just you. It is having everybody on board, the community on board. Yeah, 100%. Um, I love that you mentioned blue zones. In Japan, it's the Moai. It's the the community, their lifelong. You community. would know that better than me. <laughs> researcher. Yeah, but it is. It's those lifelong community connections, you know, where when you're born, of course, you have your biological family, but then you have this group of 12 people. Sometimes it's six people that, you know, you basically, your lifelong friends, they will be there for you for your, you know, throughout your life, whenever you have a challenge that's the social connection and that's the social support. And here in the United States, um, you know, our 
connections have really decreased. And this was even pre-COVID. Yeah. You know, there used to be three solid connections in our lives. And now there's two solid connections in our lives, again, pre-COVID. And so now. Yeah, probably even less now, right? Because we move. You know, we don't stay with our bio families. Um, we we move for work or yeah. you know to improve our life situations. And so we don't have those connections, which means then we don't have the support that we need. Um, and when things go bad, if you don't have people that you can turn to, you end up needing support from formal treatment systems, the police, the mental health system, the child welfare system, you know, criminal justice, right? And when you work within systems, when you're getting your support from systems, you stabilize in the short term, in the moment, mm -hmm. but then you go right back to your situation Right. And the next time there's a challenge, you come right back into the system. And so it's just this, you know, repeating cycle where if we can just, and this is where really my work is, I really focus on people that work within systems to say, yes, your job is to stabilize the home. Yes, your job is to make sure the children are safe. And yes, your job is to educate. And also you have to help the people that you're working with, the clients, the children, the students, whomever, to build social supports and social connections. Because when you're no longer in their lives, the next time they have a challenge, if they can turn to somebody and get the help they need, they don't have to come back into our formal systems. Um, and first of all, professionals don't think it's their job to help people find family, faith, and friends. And secondly, they don't really know how to do it. Mm. How do I help you find a friend? That's not my yeah. job, you know? Yeah, I think that I think that's the the key right there is they don't really know how to guide somebody to be able to create that because you know they're going to say, "Well, that's that's your thing. That's that's your choice, your responsibility to be able to go out and do that." But I think that we all need to kind of be coached and taught to do that. And we live in such a a time where we People are afraid to make connections. They're afraid to branch out. To, I mean, we take, and this is a, maybe a silly example. Let's just take public speaking, for example. It is the number one feared thing that people do. Why? And, and there, is, there is science behind that, why we do that historically, biologically. But point being is it takes a lot to really go out there, put yourself out there, to somebody and introduce yourself. And it's wild, right? But that's kind of where it starts in yeah. order for us to build that. And we are not familiar with the way that we have structured everything, the way that we have built our connections isn't that. And so it really has just been the very close, the very niche, the family, and many people don't have even that. So you're right. How do you do that? So Julie, what is your your take on that well i think it's a lot of things so the there's five social influences you know the first is social connections then there's social support social capital social media and then social inclusion and um really you need to focus on each one of these aspects and figure out what are my needs in this area and what can i do to build connections and support um, I do a lot of training with professionals working in different systems and just seriously educate them about how you can help people build these supports. I actually just wrote a book. Um, and so the, it's, the book is about, it's called Connect. 
Um, and really it's a hundred ways to create happiness in your life through the social influences of mental health. I so in the book, there's a hundred different activities that you can do with your friends, your loved ones, your children, um, your clients to help them build support. So everybody needs this book on their coffee table at home to dive into it and figure it out. It's kind of like how to win friends and influence people. This is the new thing that everybody needs to know. And uh, I love that, Julie. That's incredible. Um, so give us a few of those, just, just a few, shed some light on some examples of, of what you're guiding people to do in your book. Okay. Well, um, I think that it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. It depends on who you're trying to accomplish it with. So let's just say that, you know, you're feeling lonely and isolated, um, and feeling like you don't have a connection, which is a national epidemic right now. Yeah. The Surgeon General just wrote a whole report about how social connections and social media are really, people are really struggling because of that. Um, and there's loneliness and isolation, yeah. you know, it's, it's real. The struggle is real. And so if you're feeling that way, what are the things that you can do to, you know, reach out to somebody. So simple, you've got your phone right here. You know, everybody's got the, you know, has, has a cell phone at this point. Um, is just to think about like, who's somebody when you were growing up? Somebody who really made a difference in your life. Somebody who, you know, we all have that teacher, that coach, that parent, um, that cousin, that best friend, right? Every, so, but somebody from the past, somebody that you've mm -hmm. lost touch with. Um, and just pick up the phone and send a quick text if you have that number to say, I just wanted to say thank you. I was thinking about you today and I wanted you to know how influential you were in my life or how much you meant to me or something to that effect. And just that simple app, like task of reaching out to somebody that you don't connect with on a daily basis, you'll see it comes back to you. It's the law of reciprocity. I can't ever say that right. Reciprocity, exactly. Thank you, Julie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it really is, right? When we, and and there is such a beauty in the vulnerability that we do when we're able to do that. And it's freeing. I mean, there's so many things where it really empowers us in a lot of different regards to take that first step and to reach out to somebody. It it's It doesn't come easy, but when you do it, it's like this weight really just is lifted. There was a program that I went through and um, they had to do just that. And that not only a text, it wasn't a text, but you had to make the call. And so you had to really try to, to physically, uh, well, I shouldn't say physically, but verbally communicate with someone and not just over text. And, you know, they even stretched it a little further. If there was somebody in your past that has actually passed away to communicate with them, you know, kind of like you're praying to God, but just communicate as if they're there because really, you know, as far as energy, we, we're always here. Nothing is ever truly gone. So there's a lot of power in that. And, you know, I think it's just definitely one of those essential first steps. And I'm glad that you brought it up. Yeah. I mean, there's even simpler ones. I mean, that was just one that came to mind, but you know, people get so like what you mentioned about public speaking, people get so nervous to take a risk. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a big risk. I mean, you mentioned the theory of reciprocity. If you're walking down the street and you smile at somebody, 
the theory of reciprocity, they will smile back. It's it's it is. You don't even have to think about it, right? Yeah. And those small gestures that you do can turn into bigger connections. Like I tell a story like during COVID, right? Um, Pre-COVID, I traveled a lot. I would fly all over the country and do a lot of training and um, public speaking. And then COVID came and it was like shut down my world. And I just sat on Zoom, right? And it was like, I really needed to make those work professional connections, but I was literally, you know, helping my three children get online to do their education and working from home because there was no travel to be had. So I started exercising and I was, and I started walking around the block. Um, But of course it's five o'clock in the morning when I'm up and doing that. So I'm walking around the block at five o'clock in the morning and I notice the same people are out every day at five o'clock in the morning. Right, because that's a special kind of person. So, you know, in the beginning, you just walk and everybody's minding their own business. But then you smile at each other. Then you walk by and you wave each other. Then it's like, oh, you know, why don't you walk on that side of the road and I'll walk on this side of the road. We'll walk together. But we were separated by six feet because at the time that's what we were doing. And we would walk together and kind of like talk. Then it was exchange a phone number and hey, I'm leaving in five minutes, meet me outside, or then it was like, okay, hey, do you want to grab a cup of coffee? And next thing you know, I lived in my neighborhood for so many years, but I had new friends. Yeah. So it just started (laughs) with a simple gesture. It doesn't have to be like, it's not going to happen overnight, but small gestures can turn into nice things. So Julie, I want to shed a little bit of light on, you know, you, you talked about so many people, you know, they because they move around, you know, they don't have the connections that they would if they were to remain more stable or remain more put. And I would love to know your ideas uh, and your thoughts on that as far as really being able to maintain good social connections while we live in this day and age of where we do travel a lot. Many of us do not stay in the same place for our entire lives anymore. We have travel, we have airplanes, we can leave the country and live all over the world in different places. So what is your take on that? So I think that there are some, there are some really important principles that we need to practice in order to really benefit from social connections. And, um, you know, these principles, there's actually nine of them. And of course, uh, they've been researched. Um, And so it's focusing on things like intentionality. Like I am going to intentionally reach out to the people who I haven't spoken to or the, the people that are important to me and make that effort. Proximity is just getting to know the people who are near you. Um, and we have actually connections with people, say, that we work with that maybe otherwise we wouldn't have really known or gotten to know. But because we work closely together, um, you know, they're important to us. Connectivity. So making the effort to connect, having things in common. So growing up with somebody, having that shared um, experience of growing up together, that's a commonality. Or if you have something, uh, you know, something that you both like to do, we both like to play tennis. Well, then we can play tennis together. Uh, vulnerability is also another one. So being able to take that risk, you know, Brene Brown says vulnerability is the pathway to intimacy. So mm-hmm. really like being able to like take that risk and say like, I'm nervous about this, or this is bothering me. 
Uh, dependability is something that not everybody really values as much these days, but um, it's one of the really important things to building good, strong social supports and social connections. Reciprocity, it can't just go be one way. So if I need help from somebody, I also have to be willing to give help from somebody. And one of the things that I really work with people on is helping the, the families that they're working with or the students that they're working with recognize that like, if I'm feeling lonely or isolated, if I reach out to somebody else, um, and make that effort to help somebody else, then when I need it, they'll be there for me. Because that's what the theory of reciprocity says. So, you know, being flexible, being positive, all of these things are important to kind of building those strong connections and support and maintaining them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Julie, you're just a wealth of information. And it, it, go figure, you've written a hundred different ways. I think you have two books, correct, that both entail a hundred ways to improve in these areas. So such a knowledgeable resource. We're going to move into our first commercial. And when we get back, let's talk a little bit more on this subject. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Are you a practitioner or a coach listening to this? If so, I would love to ask you, do you use hypnotherapy in your practice working with clients? And if not, would you like to? The power of hypnotherapy is limitless. And so often we experience our clients struggling to reach their goals. It's because they're coming up against their own brick walls and getting stuck but you can help them through the power of hypnosis, break through all of that, working with their unconscious mind to put the suggestions in, to have them taking the action to achieve the results that they want. They are thrilled with your coaching techniques. They're getting the results they want. You feel amazing because you are helping your client get the results they want. It's a win-win. And another win is that it's an added revenue stream for you in your business. So if you like the feel of helping your clients get the results they want, if you like the sound of that, then definitely reach out Melissa at yourguidedhealthjourney.com or click the link tree link below for my unlimited power of hypnosis class to learn more. It's a weekend designation program that I teach valid in 42 countries. You write an exam after taking the experiential course and you can be admitted to the American Board of Hypnotherapy and start using hypnotherapy one-to-one -one with your clients and have them achieving the results they want. 
So you can find out more about that program in the description below. And if you're interested in that, Manly and I will be there. So if you want to come hang out with us, we're going to put that tool in our tool belt. So coming back to you, Julie, this is a fascinating conversation about social influences and how it really reflects our overall mental health and well-being. So we have discussed a little bit about the immediate influences that we have. We shed a tiny bit of light on social influences as far as social media. And you know, when we consider if we are traveling and we move around a lot. I think there's a lot of ways that maybe you can do that via social media. I have a, a beautiful daughter who travels all the time and she has friends all over the world. So she knows how to do that. She's honed in on that and is just brilliant with it. She can go anywhere. And so what I want to say about that really is that don't limit yourself because social influences can be everywhere and so many different circumstances. But I think also we kind of want to shed light on on the people who are really more in the immediate. So Julie, can you talk a little bit more about how, what are the boots on the ground sort of things that you and your teams are doing? What influence do you have on others to create this social influence around them? Um, I think it's, that's a really good question. Um, I love your example with your daughter because I think that that's really important. Our kids, they grew up with social media. And for them, that's an actual tangible connection. And I'm not, I don't knock social media. Um, I, you know, I think that there's positives and negatives to social media. Um, we wouldn't be where we were through COVID without social media. And we were able to maintain connections. And that's a beautiful thing. And like you mentioned, this whole global world, I mean, our world has opened up through social media, and that's a beautiful thing as well. And it's when used as a tool, it's very useful, increases productivity. There are so many reasons that social media is beneficial. And though, it it can't be the substitute. So a lot of the, the, you know, the people that come to me to say like, I'm concerned about social media, I'm concerned about my children and their social media. Um, it's a matter of what, what's, where's the balance? You know, so if all I do all day long is connect with people through social media and I don't have the face-to-face -face interaction, I'm not getting my full benefit from the connection. Um, and so what we want is that full benefit because connection creates endorphins in our body. It gives us energy. There are actual, there are many actual physical benefits to having connections. And um, it's a detriment when you don't. You actually live longer you live 3.67 years longer when you have positive social connections, you have better heart health, less depression, less anxiety. And when you don't have connections, um, it's almost like having the experience of smoking 15 cigarettes a day on your body. It's worse for your body than obesity. It's like and robotic. So you know, you're just going, you're just moving. You're not really having the full human experience with the emotions and all yeah. of that. How could you? Exactly. And so I think our kids sometimes mistake, oh, I have friends on social media as friends. Julie, you know? let me be clear with, with that example. So what I mean by that when, when I say that uh, she utilizes social media, um, she has she just has friends 
all over the world. And whether they were through childhood experience growing up or doing business online, but just knowing people. And then when she travels, she has that physical engagement. So I absolutely, I 100% understand what you're saying. There is completely a difference in the, when we have an interaction on social media, when we're just having a conversation via text or, you know, the chat, it is, it's not the same that when we have this one-on-one interaction and you can feel the, um, the emotions, we get to see each other's emotions on our face and really engage that way. You know, again, there's positives and negatives to all of it. You know, like I mentioned, the activity I mentioned before is pick up your phone and send a text. You know what I mean? So it's better than not being connected for sure, but it's not as good as being face to face for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we just, uh, you know, when I, when I teach people about social media, it's use it for good, figure out how to use it for good. Sounds like your daughter is, right? She's making those connections when she's traveling places and then she can see people in, you know, in person because she's there. That's that's how you want to do it. Yeah. Um, you get into trouble when kids spend so much time, and I say kids, but when people spend so much time on social media that they're not comfortable making the in-person human connections. Yeah, it disassociates you from, yeah. from with the, the reality of it. Right. Uh, You know, and it's like, I struggle with that too, you know, because I have three kids and they love to spend time on, you know, video games and, you know, chat, chatting with their friends all the time. Um, And I sometimes have to say, you know, get off the video game, even though you're playing with your friends, get off the video game and go (laughs) see them in person. Yeah. You know, Um, and, and it's hard because they are connecting with their friends. They're just doing it virtually from their own bedrooms in their pajamas on a Saturday night instead of, going out and being with each other in person. Julie, what are some of the examples that you have of how these social structures really have an effect, this large effect on our mental wellness? Um, So there's extensive research around lack of social connection and how that impacts our mental health. You know, as I mentioned, loneliness is an epidemic epidemic these days. Um, and so that's something we really need to take into consideration. Um, when you don't spend time talking to people, um, it actually decreases your brain activity. It makes you think slower. And, um, and so we need to, that's one you know, example of social connections. You know, when it comes to social support, when you don't have people you can turn to in time of need, yeah, that's when you get into trouble with the police, you get into trouble with the child welfare or the probation system, because you don't have people to be there for you. Um, And so, you know, many of people that are experiencing homelessness, it's because they don't have those supports, those support systems in place. Uh, And you're saying that it's really more beneficial for us to have like many friends around us that are able to come together in times of need, you know, whether it's financially, you know, physically able to help rather than rely on the systems that are built around us that, you know, won't last as long. Like you said, it's kind of that immediate fix, sort of like, you know, if 
your leg gets chopped off, you go to the hospital and they take care of it. They save your life, right? And then moving forward, but it's it's not a long-term thing. No, it's not a long-term solution. Systems are, people shouldn't be within systems and shouldn't grow up within systems. And it, it's not a long-term solution at all. No, and you we've got your own that is long-term. Exactly. We've gotten away from that sense of community, that social capital that helps you build the support around you. You know, the old adage of, uh, you know, it, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. That's true. You need people to support you when you have other things that you need to do or you need a break. And when you don't have that support system, that's when we can get into trouble. And so that's, you know, a, what, another one of the social capitals, another one of those social influences that we really need to pay attention to. What are you, tell me what you and your team are really creating for, for people. I know you've written a couple of books that one of them definitely needs to be on our coffee tables so <laughs> we can be enlightened on really how to interact with each other in order to even get to that place of creating the, the social structure that we need. Uh, so, I mean, so this is a workbook, the book that I showed you, you know, this is a workbook and that's really designed for uh, people that are working directly with children and with families to help them have some tools in their toolbox so that when they are working with people who are struggling, they can say, try this and try that and let's do this together. And let me pull a group of kids together and see how I can help you find the commonalities and things like that. Um, so what I do a lot of is I do a lot of training and teaching and educating um, and speaking on, um, you know, these different aspects of our lives. I, I just did a TED talk a couple of months ago to kind of get the message out because I think congratulations. People, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> I think that people are so um, scared, terrified, concerned about the term mental health or mental illness. Um, we're better now, right? Because more people are experiencing it. So more people are talking about it, but um, yeah. it, you know, that, that they don't know what to do. And the truth of the matter is it's it doesn't have to be rocket science. Remember, only 20% of the population needs therapy, medication to speak with a professional. The rest of us can get through our challenges by focusing on the social aspects of our lives. We just have to know for ourselves what to do. And we have to know what to do to support the people around us who are struggling. And that's where the book comes in is I want people to be educated, to feel like they have some tools that they can do use when somebody that they love or somebody that they work with or somebody that they know seems to be struggling. You know, like people get so nervous that they're going to do or say the wrong thing. So they do nothing. Mm -hmm. And in reality, we should be leaning in, not out. Yeah. Was there a, a really profound moment that you experienced when you it made you make the choice to really go in this direction? Yeah, you know what? Actually, there was. When I was um, studying for my doctoral project, I, I was doing a research study and I was interviewing African-American families all over the country. And I was talking to them about the mental health system and asking them, does the system work for you? Do you feel like you're getting your needs met? What's working? What's not working? And, you know, family after family after family that I interviewed said, the system doesn't work for us. The system doesn't, I, I don't see people who look like me being there uh, to support me. And 
the interventions that are put in place don't match me and my culture. And so when I asked them, well, how do you want to have your needs met? They said they want to have their needs met in a way that supports their family, supports their friends, supports their circle, um, and, and, and speaks to them. And so the formality of the mental health system, the probation system, the child welfare system doesn't match the culture of many of the people who are receiving services within that, those systems. Mm. Um, and what they said is they want to have their needs met through their family, their friends, their faith, their community. Um, and so to me, that speaks to social support. So that's when I really started digging into like, okay, what is this? How do we help people create support? How do we help people create, you know, capital? How do we help people create those connections that they want? Um, and that's when I really started, you know, researching, you know, all of the ways <laughs> there's a hundred, yeah. but all of the ways that we can help people build those things that they want so they can get the support that they need. That's, that's awesome. It definitely makes sense that you're like, okay, well, what can we do? Julie, do you have a success story based off all of your research, all of your experience? Do you have a success story that has really worked? Have you seen lives turn around based on this? Every day, every day, literally today, I one of the things that I, ha I have a social capital fund that um, I do a lot of training with behavioral health professionals. And when they're working with youth and the, the children are, you know, with mental health conditions are really struggling and they'll say something like, I really wish I could, you know, sign up for boxing or I wish I could be on a basketball team and the family doesn't have the financial resources so they yeah. can apply to my funds and I can pay for the, the basketball clothing or the, you know, the boxing lesson. So today I got an email, um, you know, somebody's looking for boxing lessons. They've tried this, 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 and this, they've talked the rate down. Would I be willing to, you know, sponsor? Absolutely. That's exactly what we want to do is help children get connected to places where they can build supports and build connections. So mm -hmm. that youth will now start boxing. He'll have, you know, a coach, who's going to be a connection and he'll be in a space doing something he likes with other things, other people that like the same thing, other kids that like the same thing. You're so much more likely to build a connection and support when you have something in common, they'll be sparring afterwards. Yeah. Hey, you want to go grab a Coke, whatever. That's how you build connections. Oh my so, God. What better way than through teams and sports and uh, I mean, even Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, all yeah. of those things are really building these beautiful connections because you have to work together to obtain a, a an overall goal. Yeah, absolutely. And you enjoy the same things. So you're more likely, you know, if I like horseback riding and you like horseback riding, when we get together, guess what we're going to talk about? Right. Horseback riding, you know, and we're both going to enjoy it and we're going to have that, that close connection because of it. Yep. Because you have that one commonality, the yeah. familiarity, and we are definitely drawn to that. And that makes us feel good. Yeah. So Julie, that is so cool. I love what you're doing in the world. I want to put your website up again to make sure that everybody knows where to find you so you can learn more about the incredible things that Julie and her team are doing out in the world. It's www.collectivelyus.org. Again, that's collectivelyus.org for those of you who are tuning in in audio and 
always know that you can find this information about our guests in the description below. So Julie, is that where people can find a copy of your book as well? Um, you can find the book on Amazon. Okay. It's called Connects 100 Ways to Create Happiness. Um, I will put it on the website. I just haven't done it yet. Um, and, I, you know, I'm so grateful to you for um, letting me come on and, and share this knowledge. I'm really passionate about it because I feel like so many people are struggling. And I feel like these are good solutions. These are tangible, low cost, no cost. Anybody can do it. We don't have to wait for somebody to pay for it. We don't have to wait for somebody with expertise. We can support each other to solve this problem. Uh, I love that message. And it's my pleasure to have you and to share this message on the Wellness Driven Life Show. That is the purpose of it, to really be expanding all of us and to be able to take this information to improve and evolve in the best way possible. So again, Julie, thank you so much for being a guest on the Wellness Driven Life Show. And everybody tuning in, thank you so much for your support. I appreciate that. If you have any questions, be sure to leave them in the comments section below and we will get back with you. So in light of that, thank you so much and goodbye for now. We will see you later.